Hey, guys. So a couple years ago, um, I had the absolute honor of being chosen to participate in this internship on Capitol Hill, actually. And uh, my congressman was Robert Adderholt. Any, anyone from Alabama in the room? Fourth district. Oh, there you go. Um, fourth district uh, congressman. And so I walked into his office, and the intern supervisor looks at me and says, oh, you are from these leaders. Your name is Stephanie. And I was like, oh, yeah. Like, I recognize the leaders that, you know, headed the organization I was with. He's like, you're from the fellowship. And I was like, okay, cool. You know, I was thinking it's a Christian organization, Lord of the Rings, I don't know, maybe, you know. So um, I'm like, yeah, okay, sure, yeah, fellowship. Um, but I was like, I mean, that's, you know, you named all the leaders, I am from there, but whatever. So, you know, he starts, you know, saying how honored he was that he had someone. And I was like, oh, he's being really polite. He just, you know, says that to every intern that comes through those doors. Well, not so long after that, this was probably a couple weeks later, some of the interns were talking about which organizations they were under. When it finally came to me, um, the intern supervisor says, oh, she's from the fellowship. And they're like, what? And I was like, shoot, I didn't know that was, you know, prestigious. And they were like, can you please take us to the gatherings you have at your organization and the different, like, uh, house parties you guys have? And I'm like, oh, sure, you know, like, sure, you guys can tag along. So they came with me, and they got to meet some really cool people. And, um, but I also realized that it was more than just the fellowship being known for all these cool things that they held at the house, um, but there was something else there. And so I realized that the other interns were actually asked to do a lot of other stuff, such as, hey, go pick up the laundry for this person that works in this office, and someone else was always sent. Or, hey, you, go uh, pick up the food or the lunch of this other person. And I remember thinking, like, they never asked me that. They never asked me to go do all these odd jobs. And the intern supervisor approaches me and says, you know, Stephanie, that stuff, the fellowship does not allow for you to do that stuff. So we would never ask you to do something like that. And after that moment, I truly realized what it meant to be in the fellowship. And so I just remember kind of throwing it out here and there whenever I was with other interns. And I was like, hey, I'm from the fellowship. And they were like, what? That's so cool. And it became part of my identity. I started identifying myself with being in the fellowship. And I realized how tiring that was. Because being a part of this internship on DC, you had to keep up an image. You had to keep up an image with what you wore, with how you spoke to people, how you spoke to people, what you talked about, and all of that. But the thing was, I, I liked it. For a hot second, I was in that identity of being in the fellowship. And I kind of didn't even know, you know what it all was about. But I loved it. And I started losing an important part of myself. And that was realizing that Christ was enough in that identity for me. We love identifying ourselves with things. We love identifying our, uh, ourselves with things that give us respect, identifying our, uh, ourselves with things that are achievements. We're so geared towards making people know who we are and not who Jesus is. But the truth is our identities outside of Christ cannot bring us ultimate life. I want to touch on the story of Paul, the Apostle Paul, who went by the name of Saul before he had an encounter with the resurrected Christ. Um, if you don't know who Paul is, Paul was a Jew man. He was a Hebrew. He was a Pharisee, teacher of the law. 
and he loved his identity. He was from an esteemed race. He knew where he came from. But the thing was, Paul had the wrong identity. Before encountering Christ, he had the absolute wrong identity. He did not believe in the resurrected Christ. He believed in God. He believed, as all other Jews, um, that he did the Ten Commandments, and he believed that he needed to follow them in order to live a righteous life. But he did not believe that God could have sent his one and only son to die for the entire world. He did not believe that. But the people who also crucified Jesus believed the same thing. They did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. They did not believe that God could have sent his one and only son to die for everyone. Even though they witnessed the miracles that Jesus had done. They saw Jesus raise people from the dead. They saw people, uh, Jesus heal people that were lepers. They saw him um, forgive a woman who was about to be stoned for committing adultery. They saw him do all these amazing things and more, but they still did not believe. So what did they do? They decided to torture Jesus. They decided to put a crown of thorns on his head. They decided to put a heavy cross on him and to strip him from his clothes and nail nails into his hands and feet. And if that wasn't enough, they proceeded to persecute the very people who believed in this man, who was Jesus, who although he'd arisen three days later, they did not find his body in the tomb, they still decided to persecute those people because that was not enough for them. So this was Paul. Paul was in this category. He believed that Jesus was not the Messiah. He was on board with persecuting everyone who was a Christian. But they were not acting righteously. Again, they believed in God. They believed in the Ten Commandments. They believed in living righteously, but they were not acting righteously. This is what I kind of like to call the God brand. They believed in the God brand. And that's actually what the authors for the Faith for Exiles book, they call the Jesus brand. But I'm going to call it the God brand for now. Paul used his birthright as a Jew, his position in society, and he had the followers, he had the prestige to do so. But for him, following God was only a brand, and it was not centered on anything that was righteous. But then Paul encounters Jesus, and that is where the entire story changes. So if you have your Bible, please come with me or go with me to Acts 9, 1 through 9. My version is the NIV version. All right, and that says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, and the way was following Jesus, whether man or woman, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind, and he did not eat or drink anything. Paul had felt that it was his absolute duty that he needed to snuff out those that were Christians or those that followed the way. But that 
is something he did not realize was making him into someone um, that was far from being righteous. So he started placing his identity in persecuting. And the crazy thing is he knew that the Ten Commandments said, you shall not put any other God before me. And yet he was making an identity his God. Our identities outside of Christ only take from us and they leave us with nothing in return. Paul tells another version of the same story to King Agrippa in Acts 26, 9 through 14. And um, during this time, Paul had already uh, had an encounter with Jesus, and it was incredible for him. And so he was telling this story while he was in custody, actually, to King Agrippa. And he says, I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished, and I tried to force them to blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. On one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. About noon, King Agrippa, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice say to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. In verse 11, Paul admitted that he was obsessed with the persecution. He had centered his ultimate identity on this thing, so much so that this was drawing him away from the very thing that he wanted the Jews to pursue, and that was righteousness. But he became so obsessed with this persecution that he did not realize it was stealing his time, his energy, and they were shaping his thoughts. Do you realize that your identities can also become obsessive? Your sports, your relationships with others, being smart, clothes, your personality, your achievements, your family, your friends, even calling yourself a Christian with no deep relationship with God, all of that is obsessive. When you center those things and do not make Christ the center, that has become an obsession. And the thing is, those things take away from you and they can give you absolutely nothing in return. But God knew that. He knew that in Paul and he knows that today. And Paul, or sorry, God says to Paul in Acts 26, 14, he says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Is it hard for you to kick against the goads? To kick against a goad is actually um, used when there is a stick that they use for cattle. And so the stick was used in order for cattle to haul things forward, and that way they wouldn't go backwards. So Jesus is telling him, why do you kick against the goad? Do you guys realize that the more you hold on to your identities that are central, and if it's not Christ, that those things cause you more pain than good? They cause you so much pain. They're stealing the very life from you. If you're wearing, or if you're a believer in this room, I want you guys to know what it looks like to wear the Jesus brand, to realize that these things can't bring you life. Um, and I've brought this prop here. If you could see spiritually what you kind of look like without Christ or someone who calls yourself a believer and does not truly believe that God is all-powerful, this is kind of what you look like. If you could truly see with spiritual eyes, 
those around you and yourself, maybe this is what you too also look like. Because it brings you no life. Any other identity outside of Jesus can't bring you any life. And it only takes from you. But having an identity in Jesus is unlike any other identity you've ever had. After Paul encounters Jesus, um, he writes to other Jews in Philippians 3, 7 to 8. But whatever were gains to me, and remember for Paul that meant title, that meant position in society, that meant him being a Pharisee knowing the laws of the land. I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more? I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage. He said all of that was loss. All of it. Nothing meant anything. All of his achievements, everything that he was, it meant absolutely nothing to him. I think that there is a fear that if we make Jesus our ultimate identity, that he won't be enough. That maybe we can't say this verse and say, Jesus, I consider you more than anything. I consider everything else a loss and you everything that I need in my life. But maybe you can't say that because maybe you don't think that Jesus is enough for you. And perhaps it's because you associate all of your other identities that may have failed you with Jesus. Maybe you didn't play right one day. Maybe you questioned your identities in sports. Maybe you were broken up with and questioned men and women and their value. Maybe your family didn't come through. Maybe your friends excluded you. Maybe you failed to get the right score. Or maybe you thought that wearing God was dope or getting a tattoo would actually increase your faith in Christ. Maybe you thought Jesus would be like every other identity that you have had. But having an identity in Jesus is unlike any other identity you've had. Because other identities have taken from you, they've ridiculed you, they've left you abandoned, did not accept you or respond to you. But I promise you that if you let Jesus be at the helm of your identity, that he becomes your ultimate stronghold when good and when chaos hit. Your identity in Christ will not hurt you. It will heal you. It will not condemn you, but forgive you. It will not leave you complacent, but challenge you. All of these things and more are found in your identity in Christ. Christ does give you life and responds to what you need. And Paul realized this when he had that encounter with Jesus. He realized this and says in Acts 9, uh, 4 through 9, As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, Why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting. He replied, Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Do you realize that God actually could have let Saul continue believing, or Paul, continue believing um, what he, in his identities and centering his identities in those things? He could have left him doing that, um, especially since he was persecuting his own people. But God, in his amazing compassion, does not do this. 
and he had an experience with Paul instead. What a terrifying grace. Terrifying because to encounter the very Christ that you are persecuting, to encounter the very Christ who you have doubted. And what a grace because Christ does not leave him there. And instead, he chooses to save him from death. And Christ tells Paul, why do you persecute me? Which is referring to his followers. Paul is then blinded, he's humbled, and he's in need of another follower by the name of Ananias to come and pray for him in order to recover sight. Acts 9, 17 through 19 says, Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hand on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me to you so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Ananias was actually probably a guy that Saul was actually on his way to persecute. And yet the Lord calls Ananias and says, I need you to go do this for someone who has now centered their identity in me. Now Paul, who had then been humbled and had an encounter with Christ, had to learn to rely and trust the Lord in that moment and realize I have nothing. I have no other identity to save me, no other thing to help me or help me regain that sight. And so he had to trust in God and realize that in that moment, Christ was enough for him. And then he's transformed. Galatians 2, 19 through 20 says, For through the law I died. And this is Paul writing this after, again, after he had had these amazing encounters with God. For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live for God. I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Christ gives you life, and Christ gives everything for you. And believe me, you've really had nothing, nothing like it. And he responds to you and desires for you to have an intimate relationship with him. Not something that just kind of looks good on the outside, but something that is actually life-giving. Something that actually will bring you life. And that will last and will not be like any other identity you had. But you do need to ask yourself, which central identities do you need to cast off in order to put Christ in the middle? Which central identities do you need to cast off in order to put Christ in the middle? Because believe me, if you centralize your identity in Christ, then you will lack nothing. And he truly will be enough for you. And that's exactly what I learned in that internship. I had to learn that I had to let God be enough. I had to let God be enough, that I could not keep up something that was so temporary, that was only going to last for three months, but it was not worth my time and energy. But put it in something that lasts, and put it in Christ. Pray with me. Father, thank you so much. Thank you for your compassion, Jesus. Thank you for looking at us and realizing the areas that we are so flawed realizing the areas that we need to give up to you. I ask that you may allow for us to give these things up to you. May you blind us with your light and help us notice the areas that we need to entrust you with. God, you're with us. And although sometimes it's a terrifying grace, 
you will not abandon us and you will not leave us alone because you are faithful. I thank you for everyone in this room. In your name we pray. Amen.